today's scripture is from Ephesians 5, 15 to 21. In addition to your own Bible, you may find it on the backside of your message notes. And if you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word today. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of God this morning. Thank you. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now, if you've been with us for a while, you know we've been looking at this letter to the church in Ephesus. We've been looking at it since the first of the year. We took a break during Easter time and during part of the post-resurrection time. But now we've kind of been jumping back into it. And in the, during the course of this book, we've been learning that the Apostle Paul is trying to teach these believers what it means to live in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what it meant not only for the future, but also for the present. That they were meant to be new creation, living like the true humanity that, had, that God had designed for them to be, for us to be, in the, very, in the very first place. But the church in Ephesus had a rather difficult assignment. You see, they were called to live as the people of God in the midst of a culture which was very far from God. Where living the way that the gospel called them to live meant living in stark contrast to the culture around them. Can you identify with that? That was their situation, even more so than our own. And so in the fourth, fifth, and sixth chapters of this book, after laying the foundation for what God had done to, to rescue humanity and create a new human being, a new fellowship of believers living the truly human way that God meant for us to live, he now then in chapters 4, 5, and 6, and we're smack dab in the middle of that, at the end of chapter 5, begin to give to them the practical implications of the gospel which had been proclaimed to them and which they had received and responded in faith Two, they were called to be the people of God in the midst of a culture that was very far from God. Yeah, for example, uh, the, in their culture, money was king and, and sex was queen. Literally, it was. They had a queen to the goddess of sex and fertility. At, they had a queen. They had a temple to the goddess of sex and fertility right They were lived in a culture where marriages were disposable, where mistresses were acceptable, and where sexuality was worshipped right there in the local temple, temple as an act of worship. And now they were being taught to honor their God-given sexuality by refraining from sex outside of the marital uh, covenant and by refusing all forms of sexual impropriety. That's what we looked at last week when he said to them, therefore, as be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But sexuality and impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking with her, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. 
Thanksgiving. Live a different kind of way. They're being called to, uh, to live by a different standard with regard to their sexuality than the culture around them. It was very difficult as it is for us. It was for them too. And they were, notice this, the second thing he says, impurity or covetousness. And he repeats it again in the verses just preceding this where they were a very wealthy culture where money was king in many ways and whatever in fact one of the things that happened in the ephesian community we hear this story in the book of acts i think it's in the 19th chapter when uh, uh, the people of god had had such an influence they stopped buying all of the temple artifacts to worship the goddess artemis and the businessmen came together ostensibly in order to defend the integrity of artemis but in truth it intended the the fatness of their pocketbooks because of the economic implications. And a whole riot happened in the town of Ephesus. And it was an economic riot. The scripture tells us that a lot of the people uh, who were there didn't even know what they were there for. They were just hanging on and yelling, uh, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So it was a culture where the marketplace was king. And they're they were being taught to avoid covetousness in the midst of that. Their culture was not really any different than our own. Their challenges were not very, really any different than our own. They had been taught to put off the old self, the self which had once defined them, the diminished self, the subhuman self, and to put on the new self, created to be in the image and likeness of God. This is not a, a putting off of their fleshly selves, but rather allowing their fleshly selves to be empowered by the Spirit of God. And that's what we're going to talk about today. In this passage of Scripture, as we come to the end of this chapter, the Apostle Paul tells them to be careful how they live, to take care at how they live. Maybe you heard it and noticed it when, when Adonai first read it. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. In other words, pay attention. Don't just go along with the flow and with the stream. The tendency of every generation, and I see it especially in the current generation of American Christians, is we tend to try to fit God into our cultural expectations. We let our culture be the lens through which we view our spirituality. That's exactly backwards, isn't it? Our relationship with God is meant to be the lens through which we view everything about our culture, through which we view uh, our, our approach to money and to sex and to all the other things within our culture. So he says, be careful how you live. Walk circumspectly. Pay attention. Unfortunately, there are a lot of us who don't pay careful enough attention to the choices that we make. We've got a well-defined system of Christian do's and don'ts, and if we are not doing, if we are doing generally what we're supposed to do and don'ting generally what we're supposed to don't, we kind of just walk along. Meanwhile, we fall into this living just like the culture around us. And every statistical survey that, 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 that is taken shows that by and large, those who call themselves Christian don't live very differently than those who do not. It's a sad the apostle Paul knew that was a danger. So he said to them, look carefully how you walk. Put on that new self, the self made to be like Christ, made in his image. He, the only truly good human being who ever lived, he who knew what it was to live inhabited in human form. He was God, but living in human flesh. He is our model. Look to him and let him teach you what it means to true to be 
truly human. And so in the few verses which Donnie read for you, we see that there are very, three very simple principles that I want to share with you that involves, that involves looking carefully how you walk. Be careful how you walk. When I walk to the Buffalo Chip, as I sometimes do uh, on Friday nights, I live very close by here, and oftentimes I drive halfway here and then walk the rest of the way. I know you're laughing, Jennifer, because it's like an eight-minute, a ten-minute walk all by itself, but I'm lazy, so I will drive the first half and walk. But either way, especially if I walk by myself, I know, and I, I usually just get going, and uh, I always assume the stars are going to be out, but often they're not. And if I'm climbing that hill, you know what I'm talking about, right? You've got to be a little careful. You've got to pay attention to how you're walking. Look carefully when you walk in the dark. And so how do we do that? He suggests, I think, in this text, as I've tried to do the, did a lot of thought to figure, what's the best way to organize these thoughts for you today? And I think the three things that he's teaching us are these. Walk in wisdom, walk in the spirit, and walk in community. Walk in wisdom. Walk in the Spirit. Walk in community. If you want to be careful how you walk and to live the truly superhuman life, the human life that God meant for you to have, you need to learn what it is to walk wisely, to walk led by the Spirit, and to walk with others in community. So let's take a look at those three ideas in the time that we have here remaining this morning. First of all, uh, be wise in your walk or walk in Wisdom. Listen to the text. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Be careful, he said, how you walk. Walk wisely, not foolishly. And the wise walk is the one who walks according to the wisdom and the will of the Lord. In the psalm that we began our time together this morning, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. That doesn't mean we stand in abject terror of God. It means we recognize his magnificence and his magnificence and his greatness and his place in our lives. We live in correct relationship with that. We live in the awesomeness of him. Walk in the will of the Lord. What the wise walk is a walk in wisdom that pays attention to the will of the Lord. Otherwise, we're living foolishly. And I don't know how well you see it, but there is a lot of foolishness out there. There is a lot of it out there. And if you're not careful, you'll be trapped right into it. In particular to the two things he's already starting to, been talking about, between before, bowing before the gods of mammon in a way that we shouldn't, and bowing before the goddess of Aphrodite in a way that we shouldn't. It's not that money are bad or that our sexuality are bad. These are good gifts from God. But if we're not careful, we will walk in ways which are ultimately foolish. I'm sure you can look back at your life at some point, and you can say, you know, when it came to my finances back there, that was a pretty foolish decision that I made. <laughs> some of you are shaking your heads a little too much. Yeah, you can remember that. Yeah, and I have too. I have too. I know how you all remember, all of you, what it was like in 2007 and 2008 and 2006 when um, everything was growing so fast. And probably you made some decisions back then with regard to some purchases you might have made. Yeah, I can see. And maybe you would say, now, you know, if I'm really honest, 
if I'm really honest with myself, some of those decisions were more about greed than good. Some of them were more about the fact there was money to be made, and I wanted it. Or it's going to just keep on going. You know, we've always assumed that our houses are always going to gain in value. Well, I moved into my house in 2006, and uh, I don't think it's still worth yet what it was worth in 2006. Maybe, right? 14 years later, or 13 years later. We've got to be very careful. We can walk in foolishness with regard to our finances, and many of us have. And if we're not careful, the Bible gives to us excellent wisdom with regard to our finances. Excellent wisdom with regard to our finances. We should listen to it and obey it. He's not doing this in order to make our lives worse, but rather to make our lives better. As we learn to live beneath our means, we have more available to share with others around us. Many of us can't be generous because we've already been too selfish in the past. Right? So we've got to learn to be living underneath our means so that we can be a blessing, so that the goods that we have can be used for the flourishing of others, not for the fleecing of others. So much of our business decisions are made that way. Yes, law, don't get caught up and walk circumspectly, walk wisely. Listen to the Word of God as it relates to your finances or also as it relates to your sexuality. I know the world's got some altogether new ideas about what constitutes the good life as it relates to our sexuality. It's a lie. It's a lie. The good life is what it has always been. When a man and a woman promise their lives to God under a covenant of marriage and live their lives for the sake of God to raise up children in the families, to bless this community, that's the way you bring goodness into the world, right? It takes a long time. It takes a lot of sacrifice, but it's the good life. It's true. The Bible has always taught that, and there's a lot of foolishness out there, a lot of lies, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of uh, uh, misdirected things, and you get called things for having certain ideas about what's right and what's wrong. Don't listen to it. Stay close. Walk in the wisdom of God. Walk in the wisdom of God. Way too many of us find this book to be a very unfamiliar book to us. Now, in part, that's okay because that's why you have teachers such as myself and others, maybe in our small groups or others that you read, to help you understand the Scriptures. It's true. But the Holy Spirit is able to illuminate that which He has inspired so that we can gain wisdom. And by and large, if we are really honest with ourselves, we know the difference between right and wrong. We know. We don't even hardly need the Bible to tell us, right? We find excuses. We don't think about it. Yeah, do not be foolish, he says, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You want to know what, the will, what God's will for your life is? Well, read the book. Read the book. Know the book. Yeah. Know the book. All right, so if you want to walk in wisdom, or if you want to live the good life, to be careful, walk in in wisdom. And I'm so glad, I don't mean this as a negative at all, because I'm so glad that around our community, people are getting exposed to the scriptures in a way which is meaningful and, and life-changing for them. I hear stories uh, about that. You know, and every year it seems to be someone new who says to me, boy, Steve, I read the whole Bible last year. I'm so excited to hear that from some of you as you say it, you know, because
because this gives you a way. Now, it takes a lot of patience to walk through that scripture and to learn it and to let it wash over you. If you, have, if you want to apply this principle right now, get involved with our community Bible reading project. Look, for, look up community Bible reading uh, uh, as an app on your phone or in your, uh, on, on your computer. Download that. We're reading a verse, of, a, 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 a chapter out of the New Testament and a chapter out of the Old Testament every day. And um, if, you, if you hurry up, you can get right in the middle of Leviticus, which will be your pride and joy, right, as you read that, uh, uh, which is a profound book but difficult to understand. Walking in wisdom. Next. If you want to be careful and wise how you live, walk in the Spirit. Walk in this Spirit. Look at the 18th verse. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, with this 18th verse, he begins what is really one long sentence, which ends in the 21st verse. And I'm somewhat arbitrarily taking that first verse itself uh, uh, because the, the, the things which happen in verses 19 to 21 sort of flow out of that. But I want to talk about them as a separate topic or a related topic. For now, just take a look at this admonition, the only two imperatives in this particular section. Do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Do not be drunk. He talks about, here I am meeting at a saloon, right? Here we are. And uh, I think God must have a sense of humor. If, if, you, if you knew my life story, you know one of the last things you would have ever expected out of me is that I'd be preaching behind a saloon, having, telling people, I'm the preacher at the Buffalo Chip Saloon. That's the last thing. But it's kind of God's sense of humor as well. But do not be drunk with wine. In part, that is a, 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 an illustration of what he will say about what it means to be filled with the Spirit. But let's not pass over this direct admonition. Do not be drunk with wine, for that leads to debauchery. Debauchery, what does that mean? It means it leads to degrading both the drinker and the people around him. You've seen it happen. You've seen people who think they're having a lot of fun, and you know they're just making a fool of themselves. You've maybe been that person, too. <laughs> Can you tell me what I did last night? <laughs> You know, uh, uh, it leads to defacing the image of God in us and others. Now, be careful to understand this. The scriptures do not teach that it is wrong to drink alcohol. You cannot find that in the scripture. It does not say it is wrong to drink alcohol, but it clearly teaches that it is wrong to get drunk. In fact, it says it's stupid to get drunk in many ways. So you need to know your own boundaries about this. And one of the challenges is that the effects of alcohol often happen to us much more quickly than we think they're happening to us. We need to be very, very careful. Some of us make the decision of absence with regard to alcohol. Others of us want to try to simply approach it with moderation. I think either of those are good choices as long as they're done in obedience to God within your heart. The alcohol can have, is not something we have to abstain from altogether, but we need to be very careful about us about it. In Proverbs 23, listen to these among many words in the Bible about this issue. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to try mixed wine. 
Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things, and your heart will utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of the mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. <laughs> they beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. <laughs> That's straight out of the book of Proverbs. Wisdom about alcohol. Oh, and uh, so be very careful. And I know I can, if, I, if it were appropriate, I could, and I won't. I could, I could give honor to many of you within our church family who have seen significant victory over this, which has at sometimes dominated your life. God bless you for that. God, keep up the good work one day at a time, one day at a time, uh, so that we don't get trapped into that. So, alcohol itself is not, uh, uh, it, it, we need to be sure that we're not drunk with alcohol. But instead, he says, be filled with the Spirit. And let's linger for a moment at this. Don't be drunk with alcohol, but be filled with the Spirit. There, in one sense, he uses the Spirit as an analogy to drunkenness. But in the other sense, he's using the Spirit in opposition to drunkenness. It's a metaphor both by a, a synonymous and antonyms, you would say, opposite to it. When, what is it in what sense is it similar? Well, when someone is, uh, has drunk too much, they are DUI, right? under the influence. They're under the, their, their decisions are being controlled by the alcohol with, which is within them. And in a similar way, when he says be filled with the Spirit, that means allow the Holy Spirit to be the uh, influence under which you stand. Allow the Holy Spirit to guide and to direct you. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Take in the Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to lead you. And in the same way that alcohol can sometimes cause you to do things you otherwise would not do, and in many ways are less than your best self, when the Spirit gets a hold you, He will encourage you to do things which you otherwise might not do, but these are within your best self, toward your best self, towards who you are, who you truly are as a follower of Jesus. There's a, contra a contrast there, yeah, under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And I think I've mentioned it before, but for me, often the Holy Spirit works in my life like traffic signals and lights upon the road of life. I will be going away my very way when suddenly I see a caution light. And I have a decision to make at that point. Will I live under the influence of that caution light or will I ignore it? Now, one time when I was in traffic school, <clears throat> the, uh, the, guy said, the guy said, you know that yellow light, most of you think that go, means go faster. <laughs> It doesn't mean that, you know. So often, uh, so often in our lives, we ignore those, but the Spirit begins to let us know, slow down, be careful. This is a dangerous situation. Slow down. And we have to choose whether to be under that influence or not. Or other times it's a stoplight which says to us, don't go there, don't go there. Stop doing that. Stop right now. And as I mentioned last week, often the, the decision to stop needs to be done far before we find ourselves in a difficult situation. It's a warning us ahead of time. Don't go that direction. 
Therein lies uh, anxiety and bad choices. The Spirit works in our lives in that way, living under the influence of the Holy Spirit. But the, the spiritual analogy compared to drunkenness is also very much in contrast to that. Because when you are under the influence of alcohol, you lose self-control, don't you? You lose self-control. Don't lie to yourself anymore. You lose self-control. Whereas when you are under the influence of the Holy Spirit, what happens? You maintain self-control. What's one of the fruit of the Spirit? Self-control. The Spirit gets boundaries to our lives. So our, so our passions and our, uh, our attitudes and our actions don't run amok, destroying ourselves and destroying everyone around us. Whereas alcohol can cause you to do that. So you have to say, I'm sorry later uh, to those you have hurt. The Holy Spirit allows us to live within boundaries. He puts us under control. So while alcohol makes me lose control, the Holy Spirit gives to me self-control. And also, whereas de- alcohol tends to degrade our true humanity and act to, uh, cause us to ask, act in, in less than noble ways, the Holy Spirit elevates our humanity and calls us to live to our best selves. Alcohol, as you know, works because it is, uh, pharmacologically, it's a depressant. It depresses who you are. It de- Whereas the Holy Spirit works more as a, a stimulant. It highlights who you are. You live as new creation under the influence of the Holy Spirit. You're people of joy, which is also one of the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. Oh, let me just look at this because it fits in so well. In Galatians chapter, chapter 5, when he talks about the work of the flesh. Listen to this. He says, you are led by the Spirit and you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. All these descriptive words that happen. But, he says, the fruit of the Spirit is is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. The Holy Spirit provides those things to you and to me. Be filled with the Spirit. Be energized by the Spirit. Uh, Allow the Spirit to control your life. See, the truth of the gospel is this, that when you responded in faith to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit came into your life, and you became at that moment new creation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is new creation. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. This then happens to you at the moment of your conversion. And so what the Holy Spirit wants to be do is to be, un, is to be unleashed in your life, to be let go. Just, it's as if the seed of the Holy Spirit of God was planted in your heart, and you've got to quit trampling on it all the time or it's not going to grow. You can't make it grow, but it will naturally grow. So you surrender your heart to the Holy Spirit. Some of you have to maybe come to the point where you say, Lord, I know I knew what it meant to become a Christian when I had to let go of my pride and let you come into my life and forgive me of my sin, thank you for saving me. But I have been living more of a fleshly life than a spiritual life. 
I have been living empowered more by the ways of this world. And so, Lord, I want to let go of my pride and my sin and lay it before you and allow your Holy Spirit to be free in my life so that I no longer quench the Spirit as the Scriptures warn me against. And I no longer grieve the Spirit as the Scripture also warned me again. I thank you for the life of the Spirit which is within me. And I ask that it would flow up within me so that I can respond to your Holy Spirit in my life. I'm tired of living my Christian life at less than my full Christian potential. I let go. I admit that I am powerless. And I entrust my life your Holy Spirit, guide me, fill me, use me, empower me, make me into the truly human being that you want for me to be. If you want to live carefully and appropriately, you will walk in wisdom, and then you will also walk in the Spirit. And so as the Scripture says, if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. All of us have seen spoiled children who run amok without any self-discipline. They just do that. We've all seen that. It's sad. They haven't learned how to keep their, their natural inclinations within a certain bound so they can be healthy and whole. The picture of that is true for us in our lives. The Holy Spirit is in our lives if we are followers of Jesus. But we can sometimes run amok, and the more that we do that, the more that spoiled child inside of your heart will say, mine, give me, I'm used to that. I always get to watch that TV show at this time of the night. And the Spirit's saying to you, you know, that was what you used to do, but now you're not going to do that. And you're going to cry, and you're going to moan, and you're going to make a decision in your heart. Will I surrender to the Holy Spirit, or will I let that spoiled, rotten self inside of me get control of me one more time? That's just one example. It happens all the time. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. And then there's a third point as well. Walk in, the, in wisdom. Uh, excuse me. Walk in wisdom in the Word of God. Walk in the Spirit, in the Spirit of God. And thirdly, walk with the community of God. And I don't have a lot of time, but I want you to see this quite clearly because it's really profound. Because as soon as he says, be filled with the Spirit, that's the admonition. It is followed by four participial phrases that, are, that describe what the Spirit-filled life looks like. And it's not necessarily what you would imagine. Notice what it says. Be filled with the Spirit. Notice how all of these things relate to a community of followers of Jesus, not simply to an individual who's trying to follow Jesus. This is, relates to, a, listen to what it says, four different uh, verbs are addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and make melody, making melody in your, to the Lord with your hearts, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Addressing or speaking, addressing and singing and uh, giving thanks and submitting. These communal attributes of doing it together are an integral part of what it means to walk in the Spirit. You cannot separate them. They, they're, 
It's not four separate things. It follows directly out of that sentence. As I said, the imperative is to be filled with the Spirit. And it is descriptive of these four, respons- these four results. When you are filled and walking in the Spirit, you will be addressing one another with psalms and hymns. Uh, well, let me look at Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You will be singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. You will be giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's such an important thing to understand that if you want to be walking in the Spirit, you want to be living the truly human life God meant for you to live, you need to be walking with others in the community of God, speaking and singing and giving thanks and submitting. And these have been part of the church from the earliest of days. Even the, uh, I forget, his name was Pliny. He was a first century or late first century, early second century Roman government official was writing a letter about this new sect called Christianity. And he would say, they would recite, when they got together, they would recite a hymn antiphonally offered to Christ as a God. This is a pagan person speaking about the church community, that when they gathered, they would sing hymns antiphonally back and forth to Christ and God. And Tertullian wrote in the late second century that at the love feast, they each is invited to sing to God in the presence of others. From the very beginning, the the psalms and the hymns and the songs have been an important part that we do this together. It's always been so. St. Francis was called the troubadour of God. Martin Luther was brought, brought hymn singing back into the worship of the church. Charles Wesley, the father of the Methodist church, wrote more than six, or one of the fathers, of co-founder, I should say, of the Methodist church, um, wrote more than 6,000 songs, many of which we still sing today. Yes, we're called, we're called to be people who speak and sing thanksgiving to God and sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And a lot of ink has been spilled over exactly what those things are. I don't know that anybody knows for sure. Certainly it means the psalms, that they would say them and recite them. The church adopted these Jewish psalms as their own. Even a primarily Gentile community saw that God had spoken first of all to the Jews and through the Jews, ultimately through Jesus to them. So they embraced those psalms. It's been a part of the practice of uh, the community of Christ to read psalms together. I read two or three psalms every single day of my life. I just do it. And it's amazing how that the, the, the continual resonance of that continues to flow through my heart. So this morning it was Psalm 96, sing to the Lord a new song, you know? And I've read it hundreds of times, but I thought, yeah, I want to do that. I want to learn some new songs, so get ready. We're going to do some new songs one of these days, okay? Uh, uh, and, uh, and, and songs and hymns, making melody in your hearts. Uh, uh, there's within my heart a melody, Jesus whispers sweet and low. Some of you remember that, right? Lo, fear not, I am with thee, peace be still. These songs which came out of the gospel movement of the 19th century, or whatever songs we sing, uh, make melody in our hearts to the Lord. Yeah. And then also the giving of thanks. In fact, the word Eucharist, which we use around here, the Holy Communion, the Lord's Supper, is the word giving thanks. The giving thanks. Uh, 
uh, and then submitting to one another, being realizing we're brothers and sisters together. You see, it's important to be part of a worshiping community. It's central to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's not, um, it, it's not secondary, it's primary, being part of a community. So be filled with the Spirit. It's a commandment of Scripture. Be filled with the Spirit. It is actually a passive voice, which means let the Spirit fill you. That means open up your heart to the Holy Spirit. And it is a communal response that as a community, we're able to respond in hymns and songs and spiritual songs to be empowered by His Spirit and in many ways to get retold the story of a God who loved us and gave himself for us, who was clothed in human flesh, so that our flesh is not bad, but it needs to be renewed and restored. And so we hear this story every week. We take the Lord's table, and we remind ourselves of the body and blood of Jesus Christ, and we go out in this world living differently, not bowing before the gods of Mammon and Aphrodite and Bacchus, and Mars, those ancient gods which still are part of our lives today, but instead surrendering our hearts to the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. Let's pray while we close. Lord Jesus Christ, it's a daunting task for us to live as the people of God in the midst of our culture. Forgive us for those times we've been making excuses as if somehow it's just so bad. It's never any worse. It is not any worse than it was in the first century, and yet somehow you're able to create an explosive movement empowered by your Holy Spirit, directed by your word, and lived out through your community. Help us to be a people who, like them, are empowered by your Holy Spirit and uh, strengthened and guided by your word, walking in your wisdom, so that as a community we can give evidence to the love of Jesus Christ. Thank you that Jesus modeled that submissive kind of love when he laid down his life for us, despising not its shame. So help us to be submissive to you as well. And if we have been living in disobedience to you, May our taking of the Lord's table this morning be an act either of commitment to first receive you as our Savior or an act of recommitment to say, Lord Jesus, I want to let go of all the things that have taken my attention and embrace the power of your Holy Spirit in my life. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.